each of them had developed stories about their past. Uh, my father, a very short story about the last time he saw his first wife and children. And my mother, a much grander story about what her life was before the Holocaust. And both of those stories were, were not true. And I discovered that. And it wasn't shocking uh, in a disturbing way. It was just like, oh, my God, how could they have made up such such stories? And And those were surprising things. And I came to understand why they told me those stories. You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Gabe Howard, and calling into the show today, we have Max Friedman. Max has been telling the stories of others for his whole career as a journalist, publicist, and ghostwriter. But Max finally got to share his own story and his family's story by penning the stirring book, Painful Joy, A Holocaust Family Memoir. Max, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Now, talking about the deaths of 6 million people in a government-sponsored effort is not something that people should take lightly. And yet we see on the internet that almost every political disagreement or societal issue, seemingly, no matter how minor, is compared to the Holocaust. As someone with family history, what are your feelings on this? Well, uh, I guess uh, the simple answer is virtually nothing can be compared to the Holocaust. Uh, because nothing, I think, can be compared to the kind of mechanical, industrial, complex version of killing that took place there, mostly for reasons that are still, I think, in large measure unclear. And the ones that are clear, I think, are reasons that are frightening and that still exist. I want to address that many people argue that the Holocaust was long enough ago that we should just let it be overtaken by history and move on. And when I say many people, I don't mean internet trolls. I don't mean people on discussion boards in the deep, dark corners of the internet. There is this real push in the federal government, the United States government, and even educational boards all over the country to stop teaching about these events altogether because they feel it divides the country and saddens children. Do you feel that forgetting the Holocaust ever happened is a smart path forward for our society? No, I, I don't think so at all, and, and just the opposite. I think that if we start forgetting something as horrendous, but also as historically challenging in so many different ways, challenging to humanity in so many different ways, then I think we lose part of ourselves. And we lose the opportunity to, at least at some level, make sure that this doesn't happen again. And at the same time, show people what can happen, what hate can do. And, and I think the enormity uh, of the Holocaust is something that is, is unimaginable. And frankly, as, as somebody who uh, survived my, mother, my mother's and father's survival of the Holocaust, uh, I, I only came to understand some of that uh, fairly late in my life. Do you feel that your mother and father sharing those stories with you was ultimately beneficial to your life, that, that firsthand account? 
Oh, ultimately beneficial is is a tough way of, of thinking about it. Uh, I think what it did was for me as a person, uh, in some ways, not so wonderfully, uh, because it made me very fearful and in some ways paranoid. But but mostly, it made me a better person because. I came to become a much more empathetic person than I think I would have been otherwise, uh, and a person who can persevere probably against virtually anything. So certainly not to compare myself to what my, my parents had to persevere through. Max, you mentioned that your mother did talk about her experiences, but that, that I, I believe you used the word that she made things up that weren't true. Can you share some of those stories and maybe share some insight into why you think your mother felt the need to, well, make things up? Sure. Uh, she had told us from the time we were, time I can remember, besides telling us about concentration camps and Amon Get and, and Joseph Mengele, she would tell us that she and her first husband ran a dance studio in Krakow in the Jewish quarter of Krakow. And it was a, a thriving business. They made lots of money and they lived in a, a five-room apartment and they had a, a cook and a maid and uh, all this stuff. And knowing that story and, and believing her, it, it came for us a way of understanding why she fought with my father so much because she basically would tell him that he wasn't ambitious, that he should try to get a, a better job and make more money. We, we, he made very little money. Uh, he worked in the same job his entire life in the United States uh, as sort of a shipping clerk slash manager in a warehouse. And uh, we thought that she maybe had a point about him not being ambitious because she had come from such a wonderful life. Well, it turned out that that her her husband did not have a dance studio. In fact, uh, he worked in a luggage shop. Uh, he made luggage uh, that the Jews who were being transported out of out of Krakow, for example, would take with them. They would take one piece of luggage and they would take them to the the killing camps or the transit ghettos before the killing camps. So that was his job. Uh, and my mother took in wash because that was the only way they, they could afford any food. And they lived in a little two-room apartment next door to her parents. And that was her real life. And yet she, she had this fantastical life because it's the life she had wanted. Uh, my mother, uh, when she was only about four or five years old, was already a refugee and was already had to be a survivor because World War I had come to their little shtetl and they, they all went to Prague and they lived on the streets of Prague for five years during World War I. And she came back uh, a changed person, but I, not in a good way, I don't think. Uh, and she had missed her life, the life that she thought she should have. So she made up the story. Wow. And... Uh... What what about your father? What did he tell you about his history? My father actually uh, never spoke about the war or his past. 
I knew something about the fact that he had a family. That's all I knew. And I was I I had a a lottery number that was low. And I was my senior year in college and I it was possible that I could have been sent to Vietnam. Uh it was during the Vietnam War. And so I told my father that I found out that I could get perhaps an emotional deferment if if I could prove that my parents were so emotionally attached to me that if I went away, it would devastate them uh, to the point of perhaps even killing them. And so I said, you have to tell me something about your past. So for 20 minutes, he told me about the last time he saw his first wife and his two little girls who were murdered at Auschwitz. And that story was was touching and it was sad. He said that uh, they were told to come with their one piece of luggage. So instead they ran and hid somewhere. He went out to look for food. When he came back, his wife and two daughters were gone. And, uh, And all that was left was a little sweater of his wife's. And he carried that sweater with him through the concentration camps, through the death marches to Bergen Belsen. And when someone told him that his wife and daughter, they saw them selected and taken uh, to stand on the lines for the showers and therefore for the gas chambers in Auschwitz, he left the, the sweater that he had carried for three years. And and it was a sad story, but it, it couldn't have happened because he was in uh, a concentration camp uh, 300 miles away in Germany when all that took place. In, in his little ghetto in, in Poland. And so he made that up and, and I think believed it. And I think he believed it because that's the only way he could survive his guilt and the shame of surviving. And when I, I, when I had those insights about both of them, uh, I came to respect them more for finding yet another way to survive the unsurvivable and the unimaginable. And uh, and when we write our own stories, and sometimes we make up those stories because we have to, not because we want to. That's incredible. Max, that's incredible. They just, they just went through so much. And now you are telling their history. You're, you're here sharing your family's history. And the title of the book is Painful Joy. Now, the, the painful part is obvious, but using joy to describe everything any part of the Holocaust is very curious to me. What is the connection there for you? Yeah, well, the the title of Painful Joy came from uh, a poem that I came across. It was written by a, uh, a Jewish poet uh, in the Middle Ages. And and basically, it's it's a short poem, but it's about what happens to love when it's touched by death. And it came to me fairly late in the game uh, in writing the book because I came across a a love letter that my father wrote. And it's a love letter in the sense that he talks about falling in love with my mother after the war, after they were liberated, and after they met uh, in Sweden, uh, where they were recuperating uh, from from health and mental issues as a result of what happened. And they never really recuperated fully by any means. But in that poem, I saw love. 
And it was not something I saw when I was growing up at all. And it just struck me so much that that the fact that they found love after losing everyone that they ever loved had to be part of the story somewhere. And, and for those who read Painful Joy, and they'll see how it ties into how the story ends in a certain way. When, uh, when my father gets Alzheimer's and my mother takes care of him, and the first time I saw a kind of caring and love that I hadn't seen before. On one hand, that that's so beautiful to see that caring and love that you've never seen before. And I, I can even hear in your voice the way that you describe it. It, it. it seems like you really see that as such a beautiful thing. But I, I'm sitting here thinking, but is the cost worth it? I, I mean, it. I, obviously, it, it, it's not worth it. That's a That's a very poorly worded question. But you do seem to have some... There, for lack of a better word, you really do seem to see the silver lining in the cloud in a way that I, I think that stereotypically people do not feel about the Holocaust. Is that a protective factor for you? How did you get to that point to find any lessons or even positivity in, in such a horrific event? Yeah, the event itself has has no good sides to it. Uh, the, the loss of everyone that my, my parents loved and and a life that they had difficult as it was uh can never be undone by finding something positive that came out of it the fact that well they you know they passed on their perseverance or their resilience to their children as well as passing on their fears and their traumas uh but i mean my hope uh with the book my hope actually, as I wrote the book, was to move beyond the terrible part. Uh, I wanted to describe it. I wanted to chronicle it. I wanted to show what it meant uh, for them, for their second family, my sister and myself. But, But I also wanted to bring out something else, which is empathy. And I think uh, there's a certain love that has to come with empathy. And empathy is what I think one gets when one follows their story. Because I I think when we talk about the Holocaust, we're always talking about these large numbers of people who are murdered and and these terrible things that happen in the camps. Uh, And that's all true. But, but, But what do we get out of that? We get some people who still survive. And then to give them names and faces and a story about themselves that takes that takes away the the sort of numerical horror and brings it down to the individual level where things happen to people. And over time, you get to understand them. You get to understand the same way I got to understand them better over time in writing a book and a story that I avoided for most of my life. You've said that before, that that you've avoided this story for most of your life. What do you mean when you say that? How or why did you avoid the story? And what made you decide to share it now? There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day no matter how hard you try to make them go away. 
and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me. Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. And we're back with author Max Freeman discussing his book, Painful Joy, a Holocaust Family Memoir. Uh, I avoided the story in the sense that I had, as I said earlier, I had survived their survival. I'm called a second-generation Holocaust survivor, and the children of Holocaust survivors are called that. And I think it's it's partly because they're tasked with a mission at some level uh, of telling the story now that the survivors are mostly gone. Who, who is going to tell their story? And, and it's up to us to do that, I think. Uh, but second, uh, when, you, when you're a child of survivors, and I've spoken to some others, not many, but some, uh, and, and it was a matter of taking care of your parents because we became sort of child parents because we took care of them probably more than they took care of us. Uh, and trying to distance your, yourself from their sadness. Uh, we didn't ask them about their past because we knew it was upsetting. I mean, we knew it from a very young age. We knew it from the fact that my mother and father wouldn't have nightmares <laughs> and all the time. And we were there to wake them up, wake up them from screaming. And we were little kids. And they were supposed to do that for us, and because I think some of our nightmares uh, came from them. But uh, to survive, we became survivors too. And I think my way of surviving was basically avoiding uh, knowing too much, or even trying to know too much. I knew enough. I knew that our lives were normal. I knew that my parents were a mess. I knew that we were poor and they fought constantly and they were sad a lot. Uh, I knew that. I, I said, but do I want to live like that? And as I got older, I said, no, I, I want to be sort of normal. I want to just sort of get on with life. And and they had a very hard time getting on with life. And so this was not a conscious decision in a certain way. It was conscious in the fact that I didn't learn more because the people I would learn from that learning would be so upsetting to them, I thought, that I couldn't. And so I avoided it. What changed? What made you stop avoiding the story? Basically, uh, once we we have grandchildren, and uh, my grandson was eight years old at the time, and, and I started to tell him a little bit about my mother, and a little bit about my father, and basically mostly just saying that they had survived. I use the word survive, 
because that's how I saw them. And uh, he saw us surviving his strength. And he asked me, will he be strong the way a survivor can be one day? And I said, I really don't know. And it was really that what that sparked me in 2016 to start this journey of discovering who these people were, because I wanted to see them as no longer just as survivors, actually. I wanted to create a portrait of them as people. As we touched on earlier in the show, many people don't want to teach children about the Holocaust at all. But here you are very comfortable discussing a subject of this magnitude with an eight-year-old. And those conversations are obviously still ongoing. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I never really... I, I didn't hide from the Holocaust. I didn't hide my past from uh, my friends. Uh, in fact... In, in some ways, I was proud of my parents. I was proud that they had they had survived. Uh, my father was a very sweet man, and I, you know, we loved our parents. My mother was a very tough lady, very very tough to live with for my father and for us. But still, we 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 cared about them, and we were very sorry for for what they had gone through. We didn't really know what they had gone through, but. It came naturally to talk about them as survivors and to talk about the Holocaust. And in fact, uh, I didn't really understand my mother's story, at least. And when we went back to when we went to Poland to see and visit as much as we could about uh, my parents' lives, we being my 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 wife Jennifer and, and I. Uh, it all became clear, and I I started to understand better with that, and and I didn't I didn't sort of run away from it. I just didn't run toward it either. Uh, it still was a painful thing, and and I was ashamed at some level. I think that uh, that I didn't know more. But then my grandson's questions really. Just sort of told me it, it's time. It's time. I'm almost. I was almost seventy, uh, and it, it was time to to go back and to restore their humanity, and restore my sense of who they were, and then to see much more clearly the effects that they had on my sister and on me than in ways that I had, I think, intentionally and unintentionally avoided. Max, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing your family's story. And society is having a, a really hard time understanding these lessons right now. So I want to give you the opportunity to share. What do you feel is the most important lesson that society should remember from the Holocaust? I, I think until someone, and I'm not saying this flippantly at all, but, but until someone actually, for me, uh, goes and visit Auschwitz. Uh, I think that that becomes the turning point in your life. You you it, it palpably demonstrates the horror that people can do to other people if if you no longer see them as people. And and that's what that was what genocide does. 
That's what people who practice genocide want to do. That's what people who practice racist or anti-Semitic hate want to do. They want to dehumanize uh, a person to the point that you can kill them uh, with abandon uh, because they're no longer people. You don't see them at your level. And I think if the Holocaust taught us anything, and if my journey uh, with painful joy taught me anything, it's that we can't get to the level of hating someone else for believing something else, uh, whether it's a religion or a way of life. To do that, and to do that to a people as opposed to an individual even, is even more more devastating. And when you go to, to, to Auschwitz and, and you wonder, how could this have happened? How could they have done this? I mean, my, most of my family is underground in Auschwitz. Uh, the, the ashes of the crematoria uh, at Auschwitz were so numerous, so, so overwhelming for the, the Germans that they, put, they just put all the ashes in the ground. And so when you walk in, in Auschwitz, you, for, for me, I walked on my father's first wife and children. Uh, I walked on all these people who were lost for no reason. And, and this is what could happen. I, you know, it, it's a stretch, but it's not a stretch because it happened. And it happened to a, a civilized society, the German society, Austrians. It happened. And so if it's happened once, why can't it happen again? And when you see authoritarianism and all this other stuff going on and the divisiveness in this country and elsewhere, it, it's around the corner. And that's that's the lesson. It's, it's around the corner and you just open up the door and suddenly it rushes in. Thank you so much, Max. Max Friedman's book, Painful Joy, A Holocaust Family Memoir, is available now. Max, if folks want to find you online, do you have a website? Yes, I do. Uh, I, I actually built it myself, so it's, it has few bells and whistles, but it's maxfriedman.net, Max Friedman, one word, maxfriedman.net. And, and what you'll see is images that are not in the book. Uh, you'll see excerpts from the book, from Painful Joy. But, but but mostly, I think you'll you'll get a sense of why this journey took place and and how it developed as as a, a story that we can all learn from, if not identify with. You know, I, I always say we I I could never have been in my parents' shoes. I don't think I would have been able to survive uh, what they survived. I, I don't think I'm I'm that strong, uh, but. But but that doesn't mean that you can't care about those people and you care about the issues that those people represent for our society. Thank you so much, Max. And thank you to all of our listeners as well. My name is Gabe Howard, and I'm an award-winning public speaker, and I could be available for your next event. I'm also the author of Mental Illness as an Asshole and Other Observations, which you can get on Amazon. However, you can get a signed copy with free show swag or learn more about me just by heading over to my website, GabeHoward.com. Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe to the show. It is absolutely free. And hey, can you do me a favor? Recommend the show to the people that you know. Share it on social media. Share it on email. Hell, send somebody a text message because sharing the show is how we grow. I will see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health.
You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.